Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now Claire will come up and read our second reading, which is from Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, we're beginning at verse 36, and that's on page 997 of the Church Bibles. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Claire. And please turn back to Psalm 13 in your Bibles, page 548. Now, the coronation of Charles III has, has dominated the news this weekend. I suspect for many of us, this is the first coronation that we've seen. And if you did see it, it was an extraordinary event. The, uh, the costumes that people wore, the ceremony itself in Westminster Abbey, and the procession you know, before and after um, the ceremony were fantastic. And I didn't realize that Buckingham Palace had such a huge garden out the back. I probably should have suspected that, and that you could fill it with so many uh, military personnel. It was an extraordinary spectacle. And I do think these kind of big state occasions 
whether it was the late Queen's funeral or this King's coronation, are still the kind of thing that the UK can manage to do well. Um, it was real pomp and ceremony. And yet, if you follow the news, you will know that that is not the whole story. That there are other headlines, sad headlines, about migrants and strikes and sewage. Even in the royal family, there are broken relationships. There's the majesty and also the mess of life, and they're not too far apart. And they're there in the Bible too, and especially in the book of Psalms. This collection of 150 songs and prayers offered to God by Israel. And last week we looked at the first two. If you turn back a few pages, you'll come across Psalm 2, which tells a story of how the kings and nations are plotting against God. But there's been a coronation. God has set his king on Zion, and he has promised the nations to him as his inheritance. Here is majesty on a global scale. And the psalmist wants us to celebrate that. He says, Psalm 2, verse 12, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And yet the coronation music has only just stopped and the clear-up only just begun before we're plunged into Psalm 3. And we meet Israel's king, not in his royal robes and with his crown, but on the run, fleeing from his son Absalom, who's trying to take his throne. Majesty, I think it's much more like mess. Lord, how many are my foes? Psalm 3, verse 1. How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. And the rest of book one of the Psalter is full of psalms like this. They're called songs of lament. King David cries out to God for help, for relief. How do you pray when you're the king, but you're a suffering king? When life has majesty, God's promises of salvation and mess, you're slogging along in the muck. And let's be honest, that's not just David back then. It's you and me tonight as well. Yes, there's majesty, salvation in Jesus, God as our heavenly father, our future secure forever, and also the mess because you're here tonight and you're disappointed with God, frustrated with him. You're sad, confused by life, stressed and tired and hurting. Maybe it's because of ill health or bereavement or some other kind of loss. Maybe of dreams deferred, or plans derailed, of struggles with mental health, or doubts about your faith. Maybe that's not you at the moment, but it's the person beside you, the person close to you. 
want you to know tonight that God doesn't say to you, suck it up. That that's just how life is. You get the rough with the smooth. He doesn't say to you, shut up. I just want to hear your praises, not your complaints. God says to you, speak up. But what, Lord? Psalm 13. God has given us these words to say back to him, to enable us to lament, to bring all of our lives to him, not just the nice bits, to help us to pray in distress. So how can we? What can we say? The psalm tells us three things. The first is, tell God how you feel. These first two verses, they're so bold, they're so raw. Like David's straight in there. How long, Lord? Like it's as if he's grabbing God. How long, God? Or knocking on the door with his fist. How long, Lord? Like have you ever wanted to do that to God, but didn't dare? David does. He turns to God, not away from him. Lord, there, that word in capitals is God's personal name. He's the God who rescued his people. But that can make it hurt even more. This God who I know and love, who I thought knew and loved me, where are you? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Your plane lands, and you come out through those doors into the arrivals lounge, the arrivals area, and there's no one there to meet you. They've forgotten about you. Or it's your birthday, no card, no message, no present from the person you love. Forgotten. Do you hear the pain in David's voice about God? The God who helped him, who protected him, but now not interested, too busy, doesn't care. How long will you hide your face from me? A beautiful, radiant, familiar face, now absent, now silent, now hidden. David feels all alone. God, what have I done to you? And verse 2, his head's like a washing machine. His thoughts just go round and round and round. And this isn't a 20-minute spin cycle or a quick spin. It's night after night after night. Thinking, if only I'd done that. What might happen next? Why did that happen? And sadness, sorrow like a heavy weight in his heart. 
sapping his energy in life, an open wound, a sore. And he gets up and he goes to bed and it's still there with him. And then David's enemy, verse 3. He had different enemies throughout his life. Saul, Absalom, but also sickness and death. And we don't know which one he has in mind in this psalm. But he's in agony. If my enemy wins, I'll be humiliated. They'll just keep gloating over me. Now, I think we find this complaint hardest to connect with because we don't have enemies like that. And that's because he wasn't just anybody. He was the king. He was God's king. And the throne and the nation and God's promises are all under threat here. God's reputation and honor are at stake. But all those on the side of the king will face the opposition he faced. So, so God, how long are you going to sit on the sidelines and do nothing when you could get up and defeat them in a moment? How long? Four times. How long? No light at the end of the tunnel. How long? Darkness, muck. How long? Nothing changes. Sadly inconclusive. How long? I'll wear out, not blow out. And David pours out his heart to the Lord about how he feels about God. And to do that, God gives us these words so you can tell God how you feel. You don't need to pretend with God. Sometimes with other people, we have to put on a brave face, but not for God. You don't need to stop crying and pull yourself together and calm down and then pray. You don't need big theological answers to get your head around divine sovereignty and human responsibility. You don't need to wait until it's better. Lament. Tell God how you feel. Feel about him, about life. Hear our words for the middle of the night when you don't know what to say for someone else's pain. People in heaven are singing tonight, and some of them are singing songs of lament. The martyrs are calling out, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So you're in good company when you tell God how you feel. It's not a sign of spiritual failure, of having blown it, of unbelief. This is how Christians pray. They tell God how they feel. And they, secondly, ask God for his answer. That's what David does here in verses 3 and 4. Now let's step back for a second. Question for the congregation. How many people here have been camping? Hands up if you've been camping. Oh, good. A good turnout. 
I haven't been camping in the UK. I'm not going to try that. I have elsewhere, South Africa, where it's possible, but not here. But as you know, whether you've been camping or perhaps even if you haven't been camping, you will know that one of the essential things that you must do is to securely fasten your tent to the ground. To make sure that the tent pegs are firmly hammered into solid ground. Because if you camp here in the UK, you will know that the rain will come and the wind will come. And unless your tent is secure, you are in big trouble. And so here's David, and it's as if the storm has broken around him. And the ground's wet and his tent is leaking. And he's poured out his soul in complaint to God. And then he starts applying his mind. He starts putting his tent pegs down into the character of God, into the Lord, his God. Verse 3, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes. Now maybe David got that phrase, give light to my eyes, from his best friend Jonathan. Jonathan was prince of Israel, his father was King Saul, the previous king before David. And some years before, Saul and Jonathan and the rest of the army were fighting against Israel's enemies. And Saul has told his men that they had to keep fighting throughout the day. And no one was to eat until the battle had been won. Well, by the end of the day, the men were starving. Now, Jonathan hadn't heard this command from Saul. And he came across, Jonathan came across a slab of honeycomb in the forest and he was hungry and it was delicious and he took some and the story goes he raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened jonathan said see how my eyes brightened when i tasted a little of this honey here was life here was energy how long lord I can't go on anymore. Life is draining from me. Give light to my eyes. Give me fresh strength, renewed desire. Get me out of bed in the morning so that I can live for you. And David here really leans into God. He secures his tent to God. He gives him reasons. Listen, God, I'll die. My fate will be sealed. If you don't answer, how can I live for you? How can I serve you? And link to that, they'll triumph. If I die, my enemies win. If I go down, they go up. I'll be shamed and so will you, God. Remember, I'm your king. You've made big promises to me and my descendants. You've made a big covenant with your people. Those words are your words and they are solid grounds. The nation's built on them and I'm trusting them. I'm trusting you. So be faithful to your word. Keep your promises. Remember me, deliver me, give light to my eyes. David asks God for his answer. He petitions God. He prays to him. And then he leaves it with God to work out the details and the timing. And in this gap between majesty and mess, we can do the same. That's what we can do. We can ask God for his answer. We can lean into him for fresh grace, for fresh strength, 
for eyes to see him and to call out to him. Secure your tent to him. We can tell God how we feel. We can ask God for his answer. And then you probably noticed it in these last two verses, five and six, is another change of, of tone and another shift in the mood of the psalm as David gives us words to praise God for his goodness. But, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David moves from complaining to praise, from agony to assurance. And that's something that the book of Psalms do as a whole. It begins with lots of, so of songs of lament, but then towards the end, there are many more songs of praise. And as we bring all of life to God, our protests and pain, our sufferings and complaints, he hears and he meets our deepest need. And he can be trusted and he can lead us to praise. And there are times in our lives when we experience that too. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it's much, much more slowly. And in some of the Psalms, the writers tell us why their mood changes. You know, God has defeated their enemies or he has turned his face towards them. But in Psalm 13, David doesn't tell. In fact, it seems no event changed things. And yet David praises God for his goodness. So is he pretending? Is this just a fake joy? You know, he, he feels the right way to end a psalm is with some praise. So here's my attempt at it. Or is this a fake sorrow? Actually, he's really happy underneath it, but he exaggerates the sadness. No, I think what's going on here, it's both. It's, it's a bit like being on that camping trip and the weather's awful and you're miserable and you're sad and frustrated and you're at the same time grateful for the tent and for the tent pegs and for the solid ground underneath. And that's what life's like. We're sorrowful but always rejoicing. Pain and praise mixed in together. And what lifts David is not his circumstances, but God's character. The solid ground David has hammered his tent pegs into. Verse 5, but I trust your unfailing love. I'm clinging to you, and I know your love is holding on to me. Unfailing love, God's incredible generosity and kindness to undeserving people. It's loyal and steadfast. It doesn't run out or wear out or drop out. How long, Lord? It's okay to ask that question. And God answers, David, I love you. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Yes, there's sorrow, but there's also joy. That whatever I'm going through is not the last word that the Lord can and does ex exchange beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that I can trust you, Lord, that you are wise, 
and that when you don't give me something, it's better for me that you don't. That in the mess, your grace and power are seen in my life. My future's secure with you. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. He has dealt bountifully with me. God does for us immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And David could tell stories of God's goodness to him. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you can as well. They're precious memories to be treasured of his grace in the grime, of his presence in the pain. In the trials, remember God's goodness and turn it into praise. David sings, and he wants others to join him. This psalm is for the director of music. You can see that at the beginning. And Old Testament believers would have joined in using these words to express their suffering and joy too. And as I've said, David was no ordinary king. He's a pointer to the ultimate king, Jesus Christ. And he too sang this song in Gethsemane. Our New Testament reading, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He had sorrow in his heart. And as he endured the agony of the cross, he prayed these words because his father really did hide his face from him. He experienced the pain of his absence and of his enemies rejoicing over him as he bore our sin and God's wrath. And he prayed for God to give light to his eyes. And God answered his prayer and woke him up from the sleep of death and overturned his enemy's verdict and exalted him far above his foes. Yes, Jesus trusted the Lord. His heart rejoiced. He sang God's praise. He sang Psalm 13 for you. So we can sing Psalm 13 with him. When you are in distress, come and sing in the king's choir. Life's not okay. We live in this gap between majesty and mess. And we cry, how long, Lord? And God hears our prayers of lament to him. And one day, those cries will finally turn into, How faithful, Lord, as we sing God's praise. And as we look back and genuinely say, He has been good to me. We're going to take some time now to make these words are words. We're going to listen to a song with the words of Psalm 13. And as the music prays, as we hear the words, an opportunity for us to silently pray to God, to bring our feelings to him, to ask him to look on us, to give light to our eyes, to praise him, for his goodness to us.
So let's take some time to, to do that now and then we'll sing Psalm 13 together. So 